Welcome to the Give This Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Kai. This podcast is sponsored by the GPS Island Program, which Forbes has stated helps entrepreneurs become professional speakers. For more information, go to ChristopherKai.com. Our guest today is Chuck Swoboda. He's an innovator, advisor, and board member. Chuck, welcome to our podcast. Thanks. Great to be here. So we have had over 700 guests in the last two years, Chuck, and you might be the first guest that has worked in the same company for a long time, meaning 27 years. That's a, quite an accomplishment, especially when I read stats on how many years a person stays at the company. I think it's under five years. And then for millennials, it's, it's like one to two or three years. So for you to have worked at a, a company and become and rise up the ranks to, and ultimately become a chairman, CEO and president, it's, it's such a, a unique story now, especially. So I'm curious, what was it about Cree that allowed you to be there for 27 years or, or kept you there for 27 years? It wasn't the same company that when I started. So when I joined Cree, it was about a $6 million company. We had about 30 employees. We had some product ideas, but no real products. And so it was essentially a, uh, a startup. And over the next 25 years, we went from startup to started to make real products, started to make a little bit of money. And over time, we went from 6 million to 1.6 billion. And from those 30 employees to over 7,000. And so while it was the same company, my job continued to change. So even when I, when I became CEO, we had a little over 100 million in revenue. And so I, I got to be a part of going from that to 1.6 billion. And in each way, each step along the way, it's like a different company. And so the challenge, there was never an end of challenges. And so that's why I never left. There was always plenty more to do to keep me interested. And that's, that's inspiring. It reminds me of my uncle who immigrated from Hong Kong to San Francisco and he worked one job, rose to the ranks, became president and retired. But it's like, it's like a rough thing. It's like you're an outlier in your own sense. I mean, you, you, unicorns who are valid at billion dollars are, are considered outliers, but for you that worked that long. And so I'm curious, what do you see the world now? Because you wrote this book called The Innovator Spirit. And you know what I'm talking about in terms of job employment and all these companies in the Bay Area. So I'm curious, what do you see from your perspective since you have worked at a company? Do you encourage people to work for a company for that long? Or what are your perspectives on, on career advice for people that might want to be in a company and they're scared because just based on the stats and based on how the world is moving, do you think that's realistic now for people to be in a company for that long? Or what, what should, what's your view on that? I think that there's not a set time. In fact, I always tell people I never had a career plan. I was focused on what's the problem and what's the hardest problem that needs to be solved. Go work on that. And as you're working on that, something kept coming up. So I didn't go to Cree to become the CEO. I went there to help build a company and it ended up being a volunteer CEO. I, I never tried to get a promotion the whole time. There were just bigger problems that came up and I was there volunteering to take them on or I was being asked to take them on and I just went for it. And so what I would tell people is find interesting problems to solve because if you're good at solving problems, there's no lack of opportunities. And I think that's probably the best advice. So it doesn't, it's not, should you stay in the company or not? Are there interesting problems that are forcing you to keep growing? And if there are, you don't need to leave. And if there aren't, you probably want to look at something else. No, that's great. And let's talk about these problems because I had a client who was at $100 million and his goal was to get to a billion dollars. He was in the restaurant business. But, but as you know, there's a very big difference between a, a $10 million company or $100 million or as you start getting toward the billion. So for you, 
What were some overarching challenges that you saw that, that you found quite interesting or perhaps unique? Because again, you literally went from 6 million to 1 plus billion. So what are some of the challenges that you saw along your, your, your journey? Well, the macro had, ones. Yeah, no, I, I had to change. So what happens is, is that the skill set and the mindset to go from 10 million to 100 million, it's, it's one version, right? It's kind of your past barely surviving, but there's, it's really entrepreneurial. And then as you go from 100 million to 500 million, there's a different set of problems. And my goal and my stated objective when I became CEO was I wanted to keep running it like a giant startup. That probably worked, definitely worked to 500 million. It worked pretty good to a billion and somewhere between a billion and when we hit our peak at around one, six, one, seven, it, it stopped working as well. And a little bit of that is there's a, there's just a different approach. And so what the key is, if you're going to keep going through that growth as the leader, you need to realize many of your team members cannot keep growing with you. And it's not a skill thing. It's that they don't, they're not wired for that next challenge or they get tired of the last one. And so they don't want to keep doing it. And as the leader, you always got to realize your skill set's changing. You know, what I did running a one and a half billion dollar company was mostly sales and leadership development. When we were a hundred million, I was still pretty engaged in making day-to-day decisions. Yeah. And what is Creed, by the way, in case people don't know? So Cree was originally founded to develop a new type of semiconductor. And what we became most famous for is we developed uh, white LED technology that helped really launch the LED lighting revolution. And so about in 2013, our most famous product, the Cree LED bulb got released and uh, it ended up helping us uh, make Thomas Edison's invention obsolete. And so that's probably the thing we're most famous for. And Cree still exists today. Today, focused less on lighting and now focused on a whole new generation of semiconductors for everything from electric vehicles to 5G wireless. Well, let's, let's go back to that when you said makes Thomas Edison. So you're talking about the incandescent light bulb with an LED pretty much decimated that whole thing or? Yes. So uh, we had, we knew uh, probably a 10 years before we had the Creality bulb that we had technology that could someday obsolete uh, a light bulb. We knew we had something that didn't burn out or didn't burn out for 20 times longer, use less energy. And, and so we believed we could someday do it. The challenge was in the beginning, when we told everyone we were going to make LED lighting mainstream, all the lighting companies told us we were crazy. And Why? so, oh, because they didn't believe that anyone would ever be able to make the technology work. And, and literally what some of the lighting companies told me at one point was, is there's no reason for LED lighting because what we already have is good enough. And so I basically got to live, uh, if you're familiar with Clay Christensen's book, The uh, Innovator's Dilemma, mm-hmm. I was living it. And uh, so I spent most of the, you know, most of two decades developing the technology and then convincing a market to embrace it. And in the end, the three big lighting CEOs at the time were, they were running GE Lighting and Philips Lighting and Osram Sylvania Lighting, who said it would never happen. Today, none of those companies are actually in the lighting business. And so just to be clear, so there's no more incandescent light bulbs or, or it's all the new light bulbs now out or all LED light bulbs? So if you go to the store today and you walk down the aisle, you'll mostly be able to buy LED light bulbs and still some compact fluorescent. But the traditional incandescent light bulb essentially doesn't exist other than you can buy them for some very specialty applications. And that's a combination of the technology. The LED works better, lasts longer, and it's cheaper. And the second piece is, is that 
about a decade ago during the energy crisis in, in 2008, the government passed some rules raising the standards of efficiency. And so you know, one of the challenges of an incandescent light bulb is that it's actually better at generating heat than it is at light. And, and so it was a huge energy waster. And so that was really the original genesis to drive the technology. Interesting. And so let's talk about your book. It's called The Innovator's Spirit. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wasn't planning to write a book. I was actually giving a talk to someone about leading innovation. And uh, one thing led to another. And they asked me to at Marquette and they asked me to look at their course they were teaching. And as I, after I did it, I said, I don't think this stuff works. Because I think what you're trying to teach is innovation as a process, as something you manage. And in my experience, it's about people, not process. And it's about leadership and not management. And in fact, if you try to manage it, you'll kill it. And that, that's a really great insight. Why don't you write us a book? So the book came about to, for me to try to help explain what was it we did at Cree that allowed us to take this startup into this global tech company and what was this mindset approach that we had? And it really gets into having you look at yourself and what do you believe in? And do those beliefs allow you to have the behaviors that it takes to innovate or not? And if they don't, maybe how you might look at things differently. And the simple example is, is that, you know, most of us have been taught to avoid risk. And yet the fact is, is that risk is fundamental to innovation. And so really take you through a journey of examining your own mindset to see if, if you could find what I call the mindset to pursue the impossible, which is my nickname for innovation. Nice. And, and let's talk more about your book though. Like how is it framed? How's it set up? Is it like five tips or four tips? Is it more of a story? How do you yeah, so, it, so it's a little bit different. So um, I wrote the book in first person. And so the book is written to you, the reader, and it's like having a conversation. And the way I started out is, is I ask you a question and through the book, I end up asking you over a hundred questions really to get you to examine your own mindset. And I, it's basically a combination of me asking the reader questions, me giving you examples and stories from my time at Cree, but then also some research we did on each of the 12 ideas that are in the book to help you see how it's been applied at other companies and other organizations. And it doesn't just apply to technology. And so it's really me meant to be, it's, it's not a how-to recipe, but it is a rest, it is a examination of how to think, and I think that uh, if anyone gets a chance to pick it up, you'll find that uh, it's a bit like having this conversation with me, except I'm going to keep challenging you and asking you questions along the way. Nice, and I love how when I asked before Chuck, how did you end up being in a company for so long? You, you were saying how you you needed to change, and that's important because so many people that aren't the best leaders sometimes when when people ask me when you look at all the great leaders or some of the past experiences about what you mentioned, it's like this self-reflective sense of what you needed to change. So for yourself, now that you have accomplished some degree of success, a lot of people aspire to be you. And so why do you even continue doing the things you do now? Because most people, I should say most people, a lot of people think, oh my God, I want to make a lot of money and build a company and then we're going to go hang out on a yacht or go golfing, you know? So <laughs> in your case, what, what inspires you now? You've had this illustrious, amazing career. You're teaching, you, you seem to be, have done a lot of stuff, but what, what most inspires you now at this current stage of your life? You know, so building the company was incredible and I never thought about what was coming next because every day we were so busy building the company and taking on the next challenge. And so when I finally retired, I stepped back and what I realized is, is that I still like solving interesting problems and more importantly, I like helping other people solve them. And so the book was a chance for me to share some insight and the goal was quite simple. I hoped I hope some people would get a chance to read it and it would inspire them 
to maybe think a little bit differently and embrace some challenges that they may not have been otherwise comfortable taking on. And so um, it was really, it was really to motivate others. And one of the things I learned is that, you know, when you're building a company and you have 7,000 employees, it's incredible the reward. It's, it's great to be paid well, but more importantly, it's great to be able to affect other people's lives. And what I found in the book and in the teaching is, is influencing future leaders is the most important thing I can do. And it's the most rewarding. And so that's why I do it. Now that's great. And so do you feel that's one of the main differences? Cause one of the, cause you're in a different role right now, right? As you said, when you're building a company, it's one thing. And now that you have a different hat on where you're a board advisor, you're teaching. I also saw that you write for Forbes and CEO magazine. So do you feel that that's like the, the, the main thing that inspires you now, just the whole giving back and helping other people solve their problems. You now more of this, this um, amplifying yeah, I, your, your, your thoughts now. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very much enjoying, I never thought I would like writing a book. I loved it. And, and I've loved trying to explain the concepts to people and actually get into some really interesting conversations. Cause what I find is, is every time I get into a conversation about it, I learn something cause it's, you know, Innovation and leadership are not stagnant subjects. They're continually evolving. And so um, it's this living, breathing thing. So it's been really fun doing that. With that being said, it, part of it's been, it's been an interesting problem, right? You know, I was a CEO. I didn't know anything about writing a book. So to me, it was a new challenge. Hey, can I write a book? Let's go try it. And then, hey, can I start a podcast? So I started a podcast and, hey, they want me to come teach at Marquette. Okay, I'll try that. And so to me, it's just been just like my journey at Cree was one challenge after another. And even though I don't go to run a public company anymore, I get up every day and there are new challenges, whether it be the stuff I'm doing on boards or the stuff I'm doing to consult with other people. And, and so to me, it's just one adventure after another. And I, I don't plan to stop. I, I'm just interested in the next thing. And it, to me, it doesn't matter what that is. As long as there's something new and interesting, I'm going to go work on it. That's awesome. I mean, Chuck, I really appreciate you being on our podcast because you, you are an example of how Stephen Collar, who wrote a book about, I think it's called Superman, essentially like studying high performance and flow. And one of the things was there has to be a novelty. So you kept saying over and over again about new problems, new challenges, but all those new challenges allow you to grow and learn. So I hope our listeners really take that point as, as well as other points. But that's the one point that I saw that was a, a thread through your various conversations. So Chuck, again, thank you for being on our podcast. How can our guests stay in touch with you and, and read your book? So my book, you can buy uh, just about anywhere you buy books. It's available on Amazon. It's available in Barnes and Noble. Uh, and it's actually in bookstores if you happen to be in a place where bookstores are open right now. And if you want to find out more about what I'm doing, you can check out my website at chuckswoboda.com. And I would just leave you with one last thought. Problems are the key because problems is what creates opportunities. And I think that's the whole point of all this is that when you learn to embrace them, then it really, life gets a lot more fun. That's a great mindset to have and definitely an innovative spirit. So Chuck, thanks again for your time. And have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Gifters podcast. If you want to turn your story into a successful speaking or coaching business, go to ChristopherKai.com for details.